people think it's normal that the minority community is run down. And that's a symptom of racist thought, because why would this community be run down and this other community is not? Racism is this thing that you just, you can't completely put your arms around the harm that it does in the diocese. You know, the fact is that children aren't born with racism in their hearts. They're taught it. This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. This is part two of the podcast on racism. If you didn't listen to part one, you might get lost since I'm not going to reintroduce you to the voices on today's episode. Bishop Fab, Lewis, and Danielle. We're going to go back to Lewis and talk about the kind of racism that he is most interested in working against. The story that made me best understand racism, because even, even having experienced interpersonal racism and discrimination, and even knowing the history of African-American people and all the other groups like American Indians and uh, Native peoples and also Hispanic population, amongst others, what really helped me to see the face of racism today was just looking at the disparity structurally in the city of St. Louis and in other cities, but especially starkly for me in the city of St. Louis. If you go to certain neighborhoods, you see buildings literally falling apart. I met a woman, she came from Europe and she actually was moving here for a job and we were talking and she was like, I drove through this neighborhood and I didn't even think this was the United States. I didn't think anything could exist like this in the United States because people in other countries think the United States is highly developed, you know, highly modern. And so she couldn't imagine seeing buildings literally collapsing to the ground. And this is not even an exaggeration. People are literally living next door to buildings collapsing that look like a bomb went off in the building. And just seeing the fact that you can drive 10 minutes and you'll see this whole neighborhood looking like a war zone in the United States. And then you can drive and you can see kind of a brand new modern downtown environment. Here we have an area called West County, it's a little bit further outside the city of St. Louis. And then you have North County and these two places are almost like stark divides. Then West County is a gleaming, shining region of high cost of living. And then you have North County, which is literally falling apart and has no investment completely disinvested, underdeveloped community. That to me is the real face of racism. At the interpersonal level, countering racism is all about relationships. Now, I've met people who grew up and had discriminatory views and they changed really when they started to encounter me and other people who were African-American that challenged their views of what it meant, who what African-American was like. And so I really believe in that. But I also think that you can't just leave it there. It has to be about transforming these bigger real systemic injustices that exist in community level realities. Why does it just happen to be that these are where all the African Americans live? And this is not like, why is that like that? That's to me what the work that I want to continue to do is really more looking at how can we bring equity to communities, wholesale communities. When it comes to racism on a larger scale, I would just challenge people to really start to look at their own city and town, really look at your own region. Look at your schools and see my neighborhood and the way that my neighborhood looks 
and then look at the way that other neighborhoods look, maybe in your city or in your town, and think critically about why is this the way it is. The Catholic Campaign for Human Development is the national anti-poverty program of the U.S. bishops. CCHD supports initiatives that help poor and vulnerable people defend their lives and dignity, make changes that solve local problems, and improve their neighborhoods and communities. Lewis believes in the work of CCHD, the Catholic Campaign for Human Development, in making a real difference here. He told me this success story. There's a group of single moms, actually called Parents United for Change. And one of the things that they work on is giving leadership and strength and strengthening leadership opportunities for single moms. It's called Parents United for Change, but mostly it's, it's single moms. Their kids have to basically walk past very dangerous regions of the city to get to school, and no bus would pick them up because they were, quote-unquote, too close. Because of that, these kids were walking past very dangerous areas that the mothers were like, we don't even want to have them walk to school if they're going to have to face this. So they actually lobbied for a change at the state legislature to get the bus routes changed. And so now the bus comes and picks up all the kids, no matter what their location is. It seems small, but these types of small victories help to bring real opportunity because now these kids can go to school safely. One of the moms, who is a leader in Parents for Change, stepped foot in a Catholic church for the first time ever when she was asked to share her story after Mass one Sunday. She was a single mom and had risen to like a leadership role after many years of serving alongside the organizer. We spent like an hour and a half to two hours speaking about her experience in the Catholic church after, like after she came back. She was like, oh, I've never been in a Catholic church before, and like... When they read the gospel reading, I was like, I felt like they were talking to me. And she was like, it was amazing. And she was talking about the story of, it was the widow and two mites. And she was like, I felt like the widow. And like, I just had two mites. And like, I didn't really have anything. And I didn't really have the skills. But then through Parents United for Change and CCSC, now I have like leadership. It was really amazing. Like, it was like a poster situation for what happens. Somebody encounters the leadership opportunities. And then they encounter the church as well. She didn't even know I was Catholic, which is very sad by the way, but she assumed that because I was African-American, I wasn't Catholic at that point. So (laughs) she was like, so have you ever been to Catholic Church? I was like, yeah, like, I don't just work for CCSD. I'm actually Catholic. That's why I know the Holy Spirit is working in these groups because we're really contacting people. It's really like the forefront of the new evangelization. St. John Paul II talks about how the Catholic social doctrine is an integral part of the new evangelization. And CCHD is truly doing that at a truly grassroots level true encounter on a local level, very much so following in the Catholic tradition of subsidiarity. We're on the grassroots. We're not imposing solutions. We're helping communities to build up solutions for themselves at the local level because they know what they need best. Lewis's own faith story and the story of this woman highlights something that African Americans bring to the Catholic community. Here's Bishop Bob. I think African Americans bring to the church a great, great love of scripture. And I'm not saying that other communities don't love scripture, but these are our stories to set free from bondage, you know, healing relationships. So I think African Americans bring a wonderful, wonderful desire and uh, love for, for sacred scripture. That's not even close to all. African Americans bring a great 
experience of the joy of life. I mean, I'm sure many people have gone to Mass in an African-American community where it is the Sunday celebration of the Eucharist. And to that Eucharist, they bring all the crosses that they carry throughout the week to be nourished and strengthened by God. They are strengthened by the presence of one another, strengthened by Scripture, strengthened by the Eucharist. So there is great, great joy in being in the presence of one another, being, uh, you know, in the presence of the Lord. I think African Americans bring a wonderful, wonderful love of family. You know, the way that we should rely on our families and be there for our families and the joys Uh, and in the challenges of of life. And my personal favorite distinct gift that African Americans bring to the church. Jesus, 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 almighty God, we praise you. Naturally, you know, the whole wonder and healing and challenge of of gospel music, you know, which, which is an experience. And tells a story and also deeply roots itself in scripture and and in how the lives of the people of, of African descent are reflected in the Bible and how they set that to music to fill them with courage and, and with hope. So that would be something else that I know is a gift that, that African Americans bring to the church. So let's move forward together. I certainly encourage people to read Open Wide Our Hearts if they have not. Yeah, I really have that positive view. I really have a very hopeful view of where the church is going. Lewis hopes that more young people will be made aware of what the USCCB is doing about racism. I wish that we could just get more young people, young adults, especially to understand their church in this way and how modern it is in terms of its its engagement with the contemporary world and how people are really trying to to do things like this podcast where they're really trying to to engage the church in in broader issues and have conversations i think it's important that the catholic church on a parish level starts just having a conversation you know i'd love for the day to come when you could go to any catholic church and find some group somewhere doing a reading a book reading on something related to racism, not because it's never going to go away, but because there needs to be a space, a place where particularly people who identify as European American, you know, non-minorities, there has to be a place particularly where non-minorities can talk about this because non-minorities and, you know, the, this language is cumbersome, I realize, but in people who are not people of color, <laughs> I'm avoiding saying the word white yes. people because yeah, I, I, I just don't like that word. And, it's, you know, and I say that all the time, yeah. you know, bear paints makes whites and Sherwin-Williams makes whites and Crayola makes white, but God does not make white. The word white and even the word black, all that social constructions. At any rate, people who don't have to regular, regularly deal with racism need a place to talk about it. And when you give that to them, 
they start realizing all the places in their lives where they took assumptions about people who don't look like them and put them on others. And for you parents out there. I think that families begin teaching their children about respect by having that that respect in the family, you know, providing good example, you know, parents respecting everyone. You know, it's within the context of the family and within the context of the home that a lot of racist jokes or comments are instilled in children. So I think with regard to parents being very careful about uh, about what they say and the values that they want to instill in their children and also, you know, uh, challenging children by, by what they might say, using things as, as a teachable moment. So, you know, I'd say if you want your children to respect others, that respect begins in the home. Everything starts in the family. But it all begins, it all begins with, with the family and being very honest about what is in the hearts of the family members and, and trying to, to root out any racism that might be found in the hearts of, of our family members. And I think also inviting or looking to find ways for children and for families to encounter, and I mean truly encounter in a wonderful way, people who are racially different from them. In terms of education outside the family home, there are lots of activities out there. Here's an example from Bishop Fobb's diocese. I mandated in our Catholic schools that our Catholic schools use the resources on uh, the USCCB website, and uh, one of our kindergarten teachers said, um, you know, it's all age-appropriate materials, and she was trying to think of a way to kind of, you know, bring the lesson even closer to the children. And so she said she went out and she bought brown eggs and white eggs. And, you know, they talked about uh, about race. And then, you know, then they cracked the eggs. And the eggs, of course, are the same on the inside, which was a wonderful, wonderful uh, example and an age-appropriate way to, you know, to teach children and to help them to come to, to understand. One of the exercises for older students might be a variation of this one. And just a quick note here, I recorded this part with Danielle before we talked about making sure that she didn't hit the desk when she talked, so you'll definitely be able to hear how she talks with her hands. A racial equality practice that people love to do. I'm not sure it's fantastic, but there's a racial equality thing where you have everybody stand on a line and you get asked questions about racial experiences. Take a step forward if you've ever, take a step back if you haven't ever, take a step forward if this, if that. And generally, surprise, surprise, at the end of the simulation, you know, the black folks are in the back of the room and all of the people, the further away you get from black, the further advanced those people are. And for adults, there are ways of doing formal dialogues. Danielle ran one recently at lunchtime for staff at the USCCB. They were able to share really deeply, and I think even they were amazed. Wow. Most of the people in the room, if I had to guess, come from the I never talk about race and never think about race perspective. And I think they were amazed that they were able to enter into a conversation 
so easily, so rapidly, that was more than just a surface conversation. There are resources on the USCCB website to help. I'll post links on the show notes. The one thing that I would say is that, you know, dealing with racism requires that we step outside of our comfort zone. And that's frightening to a lot of people. But again, do not be afraid of that that consistent phrase of Jesus Christ. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to step outside of your comfort zone to encounter someone you know, who is racially different from you. Do not be afraid to enter into dialogue with someone who is racially different from you. Do not be afraid to know and believe that that person of a different race has something to teach you and, and you have something to teach them that together in Christ Jesus, you know, we can uh, support and, and journey with one another. So it demands and requires that we step outside of our comfort zone, but to not be afraid to do that because the benefits of doing that are, are just wonderful because the Spirit of God will not disappoint us. It's going to be challenging, but in the end, the Spirit of God will not disappoint us. I'm going to leave you with an outtake of Danielle laughing because, well, you'll hear why. <laughs> That's Cordoy, not funny. Cordoy's going yeah. around and around. You're like, oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, except for the theme music, which is composed and produced by Michael Taylor. And then the new music is from First Com.